My name's John T. If you don't know who I am, uh, it's great to see you. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Page 1152, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, before I read it, let me just say a few things before I read. Um, This is a section of the Bible that has probably caused more controversy and confusion and hurt and upset than many, many others. Uh, And when you first read it, it's going to sound weird. Even if you've read this passage before, just hearing it read again, it is going to sound weird to our 21st century ears. Now, here's my plea, okay? My plea is that we approach this subject as a family. This is really important, okay? We are a church family. We love each other. And what we want to do is we want to try and approach God's word. We believe God's word is good. We don't skip bits just because they don't quite fit what we want it to say. We believe God's word is good. But we also believe that sometimes we have to help, we have to work at it to understand what it means and how it applies to our family. And we're going to be coming from different backgrounds, different church experiences. And the passage is not, despite the fact that the heading is on covering the head in worship, the passage is not about hats, and it's not just about women. This is a passage about how men and women are to relate rightly to one another in God's church. That's what we want to try and explore this afternoon. And we're going to have to help each other. Now, I realize that uh, some of the things that we're going to say, some of the things we're going to look at, maybe raise questions for us, maybe they're hard for us. So, after the service, over the meal, we're going to have a question time. Because I don't want to, we're not trying to, I want us to be able to engage with this and talk to one another about it. So, after, if you're able to stay, come over for a meal, you can write questions down anonymously, and we can try and really thresh, thresh some of this stuff out together. And work it out. But why don't we pray for God's help this afternoon? I mean, man, I have felt more in need of God help, God's help this week than ever before, really, when preaching. So let's pray that God would help us and pray that we'd learn together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is good. You are always good. Everything you say is good. Everything you do is good. And Father, we ask this afternoon that as we approach this part of your word, we pray you'd really help us to understand it. Pray that we would see what it really means that you'd help us to have clarity, that particularly we'd see how we can apply it at Globe Church and and very much that we would love each other as we do this and that we'd listen to one another and help each other. Father, please help us to engage as a family together this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me read. So 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. 
but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Wow. What a passage. It's on weeks like this when you begin to think, am I really committed to preaching through whole books of the Bible? And actually we are. We really are. We, we, I don't want to dodge stuff. I also want you to know, though, if this is the first time you've been to Globe Church, I want you to know we also don't obsess about this stuff. This is the first time I've preached on this subject in two years. Right? So please don't think that this is kind of like a major, this is the major thing about Globe. But let's, let's dig into it together and get to grips with what it's saying. Right, here's, the, here's what I want us to understand. It's not about women, it's not about head coverings, it's about something much bigger than that. So what, if you strip out all the stuff in this passage about head coverings, I think you're left with three verses that contain three really important principles. Now, if we can get to grips with those principles, then we'll be in a position to, right at the end, if we have time, <laughs> right at the end to work on what is this head covering thing, what does that really mean? Okay. So let me show you what the three verses are. Um, Firstly, look at verse 3. Verse 3 strikes me as a principal verse. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So that's going to be our first principle. The second principle comes up in verses 7 and 8. A man ought not to cover his head. Here's the principle. Since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man for Man did not come from woman, but woman from man. So there's the second principle. And the third principle then comes in verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So what we're going to try and do is hang this this talk on those three principles and try and get to grips with what those are about, and then we'll try and work out what the head-covering stuff might be going on about. Now, just remember, in Corinth, it's a bit of a chaotic church. It's a mess, right? The mantra in, in Corinth, their slogan is, I have the right to do anything. And that is kind of impacting the whole area of life, including the relationship between men and women. There's this demand, this kind of, no, I have the right. It's me, it's me. The ego, the ego rules. And Paul's already been writing to say to them, you need to stop feeding your ego and you need to learn a different way. Right, here's the first principle. Um, Principle one, from verse three, it is good to have a head. That's my first principle. I think that is a self-evident truth. I am pleased with my head. I like my head where it is, uh, in a physical sense. We're thankful for our heads. 
most of us would rather not throw off our heads in a bid for freedom. To be a headless chicken is not a desirable situation. A headless chicken is not a free chicken. So it's good to have a head, but if that's true physically, it's true spiritually, okay? Paul seems to think, in verse 3, it's good to have a head. So look at verse 3 again. Here's the three statements he makes. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. All right? That raises the obvious question. What does Paul mean by head? What does that word mean? What does headship really mean? Three times he uses the word. And I don't think the first statement or the third statement are that controversial. The head of every man is Christ. Fine. The head of Christ is God. Sort of fine. We'll get to that. But fine. The difficult one is the middle one. The head of every woman is man. The head of woman is man. And so what I want to do is try and explore the, the, the man and Christ and God and Christ one in order to then work out what headship really means. Look, there's, two, there's three main views around the idea of being a head. It's a big, rich concept. Here are the three views. Uh, some people say that it's an authority thing, it's a power thing, like a head teacher. So to be the head means you have authority. Some people see it referring to a source, like the head of the river. So the man is the source of the woman, the head. The third view is that the head means a representative. So like the queen is our head of state. Um, it's, it's the one who's representative um, of the people. And you could read many books and listen to many sermons, and believe me, I have this week. And you will find people saying all those views and arguing for those views. I want to suggest something. I want to suggest that you don't... Now, this might sound like a cop-out. I want to suggest that you don't have to choose. I want to suggest that actually all three of those have very helpful things in them. So the idea of the source, I think that comes out of the passage here. The woman comes from man. That's what Paul says later on. So in a sense, there is the, the headship of... The man is the head because he's the source. He came, the woman came from man when God created humanity. Similarly, the idea of representative is a helpful idea. Christ is the head of the church because he's the representative of the church. I don't think we have to dismiss that and say that's not that. And I also think that the idea of authority, you can't get away from that in these verses. Of course, that is a problem. Because authority is not a popular word. In fact, it's an entirely negative word, as far as I can see. What is authority? If I, if I asked you for a definition of authority, what would you go for? So don't have to shout it out, just think for a second in your brain. What is authority? Who do you think of when you... Okay, that's a fun game. Who's the first person that comes to your head when you hear the word authority? Put in? Government? What? Who? Angela Merkel. Great. Good. Okay, it's, it tends to be an, or, that sort of authority figure. Um, I think the reason we're fearful of authority is because we, authority has become a, something in our culture that is abused to get what I want. So we fear those in authority because they pull rank. 
right? They're the boss. They get to do whatever they want. Now, if that's what authority means, then no wonder we recoil from it. That is not authority. At least that's not the authority you find in the Bible. Now, this is, this is the, so important we get this, okay? I want us to look, because Christ kind of sits in the middle, because Christ is, the head of Christ is God, and Christ is the head of man, we can look at Christ as, as what it means to have authority and what it means to be under authority. We can look at Christ as what it means to have a head and to be the head, right? So let's look at Christ. What does Christ do as the head of his people? What does Christ do with power and authority? I want you to turn to John 13 with me. Stick with this. It's going to be um, hard work this afternoon, but it's going to be good to work hard. John 13, page 1081. Okay, John 13. Have a look at what it says. This is, this is Jesus, all right? Let's look at what Jesus does as the head, okay? This is the night before uh, Jesus is going to go to the cross. Look from verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he what? Jesus knew that he had all power, so what did he do with it? So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Authority, power, is not something to be used for your own advantage. It is a responsibility to be used for others' good. Here is Jesus, who looks at his stinking feet of his disciples, covered in all the muck from the street in their open-toed sandals. And he says, with all my authority that God has given me, I will stoop down and wash your feet. Please get rid of any idea that authority has the, the idea of lording it over people and getting whatever you want. Do you know Peter's response is really interesting? Look what Peter says. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He doesn't want to be served. He doesn't want the powerful one to serve him. He doesn't want it. Because he wants to be in charge. He wants to be the boss. He wants to be the one who sorts his own feet out. And I think what you see in Christ is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it means to be the head. He is the source of his church. They they come from him. He's the representative of his church. And he's the one who takes responsibility to lay down his life to make his church clean. That's what it means to be head. Christ is what it means to be head. And therefore, when Paul says the head of every woman is man, he's not saying, men, you have the right to do whatever you want with women. 
He's not saying you have the right to pull rank. He's not saying that you have the right to rule. He's not saying you have the right to get whatever you want. He is saying you have the responsibility to lay down your life to do good to women. That's what head means. So I've got to tell you, men, there is never a place for you to pull rank. Never. You never make demands. But God has entrusted men with the responsibility to lovingly lead. That is the role he's given men. What does it mean then? How did Christ treat his father who was the head over him or the, the head of him? The, how, does, how does Christ treat his father? This is the problem, right? Because if it's authority, we tend to think, oh, you've got to obey. Or you've got to kind of like just shut up and do what you're told. Now, do you know what what the Bible word is? He entrusted himself. He says, Father, if you love me like that, then I entrust myself to you. I entrust myself to you. And that is a place of great safety. It's nothing to do with being inferior. It has everything to do with a responsibility and an entrusting that responsibility. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, forget all about hats and hair and blah blah This is the most important thing. Christ came into this world and died to be your head. Christ came into this world and laid down his life. He said, I so love you. I so want you. I will do everything anything to buy you. I will pay the price. I will give everything. Now, will you entrust yourself to me? And for some of you this afternoon, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, it's the most beautiful thing that you get to entrust yourself to someone who loves you like that. Now, I realize at this point we might say, that's fine. I don't mind submitting myself to Christ. I don't mind entrusting myself to Christ. But I do have a problem with this men-women thing. Well, that's the way God has created humanity. That's the way he set it up. That's what he says. And we want to work that out. Let's move on to the second principle. Okay, second principle. Here's the second principle. A wall is not a house. (laughs) You may wonder where that comes from in the passage, but let me try and explain what I mean when I say wall is not a house... Look, I haven't built many houses in my time. Uh, I mean, I have built Lego houses, and the principle is very much the same. Uh, it goes like this. You build a wall, but if you build a wall, you haven't built a house. If, if I build a wall and I come running over to you and say, oh, I built a house, you'd say it's not a house, it's a wall. It's a big difference. The, ha- the wall is not a house until it has a roof. This is, <laughs> this is basic, right? Basic house building stuff. This has got a point, okay? But you have to build the wall first before you build the roof. There is an order. So look what Paul says in verse 7. This is the second big principle. A man ought not to, ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 
Okay, here's, let's, let's work at this. I know it sounds, at first sight, it sounds very strange. It sounds like, well, this doesn't sound right. Let's work at this. Here's what we're being told. God created humanity to be in his image. Right, come to Genesis 1.27. Let's do some foundation stuff. Come back to Genesis chapter 1. So, right at the start of the Bible. Page 4, in fact. Let's just get these things in place. Okay? I want to get these things clear in our heads. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the image of God is human beings, male and female, together, image of God. Right? So God's purpose for humanity was to reflect him to the world was to show God's glory to the world. And the way he did that was, be, was through male and female together being the image of God. In chapter 2 of Genesis, you then get a different account of creation. And it goes, focuses on humanity. And it shows us that God made the man first and then the woman. So have a look, look at how it says it. Um, have a look at verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18. God's made the man... And then it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Right? It's not good for the man. So now there's something that's not good. There is an incompleteness about man on his own. So what does God create? He does not create a load more men. Right? That would have solved the problem. If he'd created another eight blokes... They could have had a lad's curry night. Do you know I mean they, they could have? He wouldn't have been alone anymore. But that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was not to create more men. His purpose was that from the man he would create woman. If you like, he creates the walls and then he puts the roof, and the roof completes the house. The roof is the glory of the house because now you say now it's a house. But the walls come first and then the roof. It's just the way it is. Now the reason that this idea of a house I think is helpful is because you'd be... I don't think there's anyone in this room who would argue that the roof is less important than the walls. That's like a nonsense. They're both required in order for the house to exist. But you also can't argue that the walls and the roof are just the same. They're interchangeable. No, they're not. The walls and the roof are very different. It's not an igloo. Right? Because in an igloo, I haven't built an igloo ever, but my understanding of igloos is that all the ice blocks are basically the same and you make an ice and it doesn't really matter. In a house, there's a difference between the walls and the roof. What we're being told here is there's a difference. There's got to be a difference because God didn't make more men. He made a woman. That's good. And it's only at that point that God says, ah, now it's good. And this is the beautiful design of God. God creates the man and he creates the men to be walls. And he says, men, be walls. Stand up. 
Take responsibility, the responsibility that God has entrusted to you. He said, men, I want you to lead, to lay down your lives, to lovingly use, to use that role that I've given you to serve and to lay down your life. Be strong walls and women be roof. And together put on display the glory of God. And this is why he mentions the angels. It's a puzzle, isn't it? It's for this reason the woman, this is verse 10, ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Why? Well, because the angels are watching the church. Right? There's an unseen spiritual world and the church puts on display God to the whole unseen spiritual world, to the angels. The angels are watching. The angels do not display the glory of God because they're not male and female. Only humanity has been created in this beautiful way where men and women together reflect the glory of God. Now what I'm going to do at this point um, is um, see that there is something that's gone wrong. So in the next chapter of Genesis what happens is that the relationship between man and woman, like we were thinking about um, Melody's poinsettia, Poinsettia. Poin. I always get it wrong. The relationship between men and women has become spoiled. There is now a battle going on between the sexes. The battle of the sexes. And that's been going on ever since humanity rejected God as head. So I don't know if you saw the Brit Awards this week. Who watched the Brit Awards this week? Well, okay, well done. So Dua Lipa, I'm pretending I know who, who that is. <laughs> I'm going to go female. It's a, it's a woman. Because of what she said. This is what she said. More women on this stage, more women getting awards, more women to take over the world. Now listen, I want to say more women on this stage, Yes. More women getting awards? Yes. More women to take over the world? How do we get there? Do you not see that something is fractured in our culture? Are you telling me that as you look at culture, you think that men and women relate well to one another? When men constantly abuse their positions of power, when men like Harvey Weinstein can get away with the most horrific things, And I don't know about you, but I struggled with the Harvey Weinstein thing, but I have struggled more with this stuff around the charity things and the people who are now, it's being all this stuff that's coming out. It's so hard. You think, what is wrong with our culture? When men want to abuse and mistreat women and women want to usurp men and say, we don't need men. What do you want? Men are useless anyway. Let's get rid of the men. Let's take over the world. There's not a happy relationship between men and women in our enlightened culture. And there is much about feminism that we should applaud. There is much about feminism that is good because For too long, women have been treated unequally. There have been injustices. And it is right that those injustices are raised and they are um, tackled. It is right that men and women should be paid equally for equal jobs. Of course they should. 
Well done, feminists. But now, don't now start pushing it to the point where you say, actually, we don't need men anyway. Women are better than men. No, men and women are different. We need to embrace that. Because there's a beauty in that. Okay, um, Linda's going to come. Uh, this is my wife. And uh, she's going to come and um, do the next bit. Because um, I figured that this, I hope this is uh, helpful, which is probably going to be the most helpful bit. Um, and I hope this is helpful to you because um, I particularly asked Linda to come and talk about what, what's her experience of this, this struggle with what it means to be uh, a man and woman, how they relate to one another within church. So Linda's going to share. Sorry. <laughs> yes, sorry, it's one less. Is this on? Lovely. Great. Um, so I just want to share with you um, my kind of struggle with this, if I'm honest. Um, so when I first became a Christian, the idea of men being the head was like totally crazy. My granny was a real role model to me. She was an amazing woman. Um, she'd gone out to work during the war and she was extremely good at it. And she'd become a very strong, competent woman. And her mantra in life, she didn't have very good language, so I'll clean it up. But she would say, blooming men, we'd be better off without them. And so that was the world girl, I kind of worldview I grew up with, which was echoed in my mum. So when I became a Christian and I entrusted myself to God as my head, it took me a real, it was a real battle for me to begin to get my head around this sort of teaching um, about understanding the order that he'd woven into creation. And for a while, I think I was like, oh, I can be the sort of Christian who accepts these bits, but yeah, I'm not so sure about these bits. They don't seem to really fit. And I ignored them for quite a long time. Uh, but I guess I began to realize that if I was going to entrust myself to God as my head, it didn't mean saying yes to the bits that I liked and no to the bits that I didn't. It meant saying yes, yes to God, yes, you are my head, yes to the way that you've created things, and yes to your explanation of how creation works best. And I guess gradually he softened my heart and helped me to read 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 without getting quite as angry as I used to this idea of um, headship and order. But it raised a lot of questions about how on earth I was going to put it into practice. And I guess at first I was thinking, does that mean I have to change who I am to fit into church? I am not unlike my granny. I'm a pretty strong woman. I'm quite independent by nature. Um, I am, uh, in many realms, a natural leader. And so I thought, you know, do I have to set aside those natural qualities in order to find my place in God's order and his church? Well, the encouragement in this passage is no. Men and women uh, in this particular section are both called to pray and to prophesy in verse 4. What they are doing is the same, but the challenge is about the way that we're doing them. And there are actually loads of examples in the Bible of women following Jesus and being encouraged to be the women that God's created them to be. We don't have to change who we are. God hasn't given us gifts and then said, oh, by the way, you can't actually use them if you're going to be part of my church. He wants us to use the gifts that he's given, but we need to change the way that we think about how we're going to use those gifts. And for me, that meant that I needed to change the way that my heart thought about men. They're not blooming men, we're better off without them. They are equal with women, and they're given different roles. They're created to be walls, leading, being the head. And I guess I had to learn to trust that, to entrust myself to men in church, and to orient what God has gifted me to do around the leadership of men. Um, 
I still find it really difficult to find my place in church. And I guess I still do find it difficult to find really good kind of older women role models of what it means to be a, a strong woman finding their place in God's order. This book has come out last month and it's absolutely brilliant. And my heart just really rejoiced as I read it. It's by a lady called Kathleen Nielsen. She is an incredibly gifted Bible teacher. And obviously, as you read it, you can see she, she and my granny would have got on really well. And she's got this great chapter on strong women, um, and she talks about the example of Deborah. Now, Deborah's a woman, you don't need to turn to it, but it's worth reading it later. She's a woman you find in Judges 4, in the Old Testament part of the Bible. She's a judge of God's people, and um, I'll quote Kathleen on this point. She says, um, Deborah offers a hugely encouraging example of a strong woman who serves the Lord, who respects and exhorts the male leaders around her. She doesn't fit into the categories sometimes associated with women who are submissive to God's word and God's order. But she challenges us to consider that the existence of an ordered creation of male and female equally in the image of God leaves more room for the growth and strength of men and women alike than we might be in the habit of imagining. And then she goes on to talk about the story of how Deborah led Israel. And she said there's an undeniable male-female tension in the story. And the point of the tension is not to undermine the females who are presented as brave and faithful, but rather to call out the men who weren't stepping up to their leadership roles. So in the situation at the time in Israel, there weren't men stepping up to be walls. And so God called Deborah into place. And I think as women, this is where we do have to be careful, that if men shrink back from being a wall, it's really tempting to step in and fill that gap. I think we're initiative takers, we like to sort things out, and often we are really good at at solving problems. But the beauty of the way that Deborah does this, um, in Judges 5 verse 2, and again, I'd encourage you to look up this verse later, she says, when the princes, that's the men in Israel, take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord, And I guess you see here an insight into her heart. Her heart, as she um, judges the the people of Israel, is that she wants to see men step up into the leadership roles that God's called them to, and she praises the Lord for the ones that do. And I think that that heart speak of hers helped me, helps me to understand what it looks like to cover our heads in church. I don't think it literally means shoving a hat on, though I've had a few jokes with people. Um, on the way in about whether that's maybe just a great way of ticking off this passage. It's not about ticking things off. It's about our heart. And I think that, like Deborah, putting this into practice is saying when the princes in Israel, or in our case, when the men in church take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord, that's saying it's good to have a head. I want men to step up and be the wall so I can be the roof that God's made me to be. It's good to have men as my head in church. So the way I listen to men teaching in church is a good opportunity to express this principle of covering my head. I don't sit there thinking, blooming men, we'd be better off without them. And I don't sit there thinking, I could do a better job. Like Deborah, I sit there saying, when the men in our church take the lead, praise the Lord. And that means gladly and carefully listening to the men preaching week by week. That's a way of saying in our hearts, God, it's good to have a head. You are my head, and you've given men as a gift to us in our church, and I entrust myself to you and to them. 
Another way that I put this into practice is um, as I lead Focus, which there are midweek mixed Bible study groups. So there's men and women in the group, and I co-lead with a guy called James. And I think, um, like Deborah does, I need to be careful to give James the space to step in and teach when it's my week of teaching. Um, one of the things that I do is I ask him to close in prayer because I just want to give the floor back to him at the end of the study so that he can add to or take from the discussion and what's been said. And I need to try, um, as I lead focus, not to teach like a wall. Me and James will teach differently because I'm a woman and he's a man. And our group needs both of those things. So I need to not just try and talk about the bloke things that I do, but be honest about the struggles, the juggling that I have to do as a wife and a mother and also someone who works. Um, I can be honest with my group about the anxieties that I face doing that, about the times when I feel low about the pressures of time management um, because I don't have like a standard nine-to-five job. That's a real struggle for me. And some of those things, particularly juggling kids and work, is a a unique pressure often for women. Um, So I just need to be a roof as I teach and not try to be a wall. And I just want to encourage you that I feel like as I entrust myself to men, I think they have the harder job of encouraging and training us to flourish Uh, There's lots of examples of the way that women do this in the Bible. There's um, Priscilla and Aquila who taught together in church. There's a lady called Lydia who's a dealer in purple cloth and she seemed to have enough money to have a home and it sounds like she helped get the Philippian church off the ground and they initially met in her home. It kind of reads like she bankrolled the whole thing. So there are really great, I mean the Bible is actually full of examples of women who are yeah, just doing amazing things in the service of God and being... um, praised for it and being used as examples to all sorts of people. So it really isn't that the Bible is down on women at all. So if you're a woman here who's gifted at making money, maybe you have a strong work ethic, you have leadership and teaching gifts, please don't hear this order in creation as thinking that somehow you don't fit. Absolutely you do. But for those women who are sat here thinking, I just long to have a husband and a family and build a home, just because culture says that's not a real job, doesn't mean that you don't fit. Actually, in Genesis 1, God did create us to be fruitful and increase in number. And if that's your heart longing, then that's a good desire to do what God's created humanity to do. But also, there's a place for Lydia's making money. There's a place for Priscilla and Aquila using their teaching and leadership gifts together. So just be who you are is what I'd encourage you to do. And be a roof. Don't try to be a wall. I love the bit in um, the passage in Deborah because she talks about the people willingly offering themselves. Having a head and this order built into creation is not frustrating, pointless and ridiculous, though it felt like it for quite a long time for me. And our world would mock and say that it is. It's something we choose. The Bible never forces us as women to submit. It's something that we choose to do. A way of saying, God, you're my head. I want to say yes to you. And I want to just reiterate what Jonty said, that if this stuff sounds a bit crazy to you, my journey was really, took a long time. And it starts with realising how good God is and being able to say, it's good to have a head. I want God to be my head. And if that's where you're at and you're not even sure that you're there yet, then don't worry about this stuff. Having God as your head, entrusting yourself to him, is absolutely the heart of it. But allow time for God to let you understand what it means for you to be the woman he's created you to be and I long that he will make us women in our church women who are glad to say God it's good to have a head we entrust ourselves to you and the way that you've made things work great thank you um
I, I really hope that's helpful. I, I want you to know, Linda and I worked on this together because we, we, we really want to express this as carefully as we can because we love you as a church family. We want to try and, and yeah. And I have to say, the greatest joy, and this is going to sound, this sounds a bit cringy, but probably the greatest joy in my last two years um, has been seeing Linda flourish. I mean, that, it took me a long time to get that. Can I tell you, for the first probably five years of our marriage, I was very threatened by Linda um, because I knew how competent she was. And I found that really hard as a man. And I was like, oh, no, no, I need to, you know, I need to try and hold her back. And, I mean, and, and actually, to suddenly get to a place of realization, to go, no, my job is to help her flourish. Um, and it, it's my greatest joy to, to see that. And I just think, what a church we would be if men, our greatest joy was to see the women of Globe Church flourish and thrive, using all the gifts God's given them for the glory of his name. What a church we would be. Um, But we're not, because we get it wrong. And we need to confess that and say sorry to one another. One third principle. We're all right, and we're nearly dead yet. But we'll do this one quickly. Okay. Uh, No one needs no one. Um, Have a look at uh, verse 11. Paul is so clear in what he says um, in this bit. Um, <laughs> Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is the man independent of woman. Look, Paul says, look, get any idea out of your head that, that men don't need women or women don't need men. You need each other. Men came from women, but women came from men. It's just like a big circle thing. Every, no one needs no one. There's no one sitting here saying, well, I don't need anyone. And in fact, there is only one being in the whole universe that doesn't have a head. And that is God the Father. Only God the Father is head of himself. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, submits to his Father. Even Christ has a head. So if we stamp our feet, or if we... uh, Maybe we don't stamp our feet. But if we in our hearts stamp our feet and say, I don't want a head over me. I don't need anyone to be my head. I'll be my own head, thank you very much. That is a claim to be God. I just want you to know what you're claiming. As you say, I will be my own head, you are saying, me and God the Father, we're equal. I'm more than Christ. I'm better than Christ. Christ needed a head. I don't need a head. Human beings have this insatiable desire to need no one. We need one another. We need each other. Let's just think as we finish about how we apply this. You know, all this head covering stuff, you know, we've nicely sidestepped all of that. I hope you've seen the principles. There is goodness in this idea of a head. The walls on their own are not a house. We need, God has built order and no one needs no one. We need each other. Okay. Let's ask the question then. Should we wear hats or not? Well, can I just say firstly, seriously, if you are sitting here and you've been brought up in a tradition where wearing a hat in church is something that you believe is the right thing to do, and if with a conscience that is your understanding, then you are absolutely welcome. And I will not mock that. 
That is not my understanding of what this passage is saying. My understanding of what this passage is saying is that what's happening in Corinth is that the men and the women are... The, the distinction between them is being blurred. The women are behaving like men. The men are behaving like women. And Paul is saying, no, men be men. Women be women. Express that. Now look, if we slapped on hats, it would make no difference whatsoever. Because culturally, it doesn't express the, the, kind of the, the idea of being a woman. In this culture, and people argue about this so much, people don't really know. But it seems to be that to, to wear a head covering, or perhaps to have long hair, or perhaps to have your hair in a certain style, represented that you were either married, or you were a woman, or to have a head shaved meant that perhaps you were sexually immoral. You know, there's all these sorts of things going on. We don't know all the cultural details. But we do know the principle, and the principle is it is good for the difference between men and women to be expressed. And therefore, I want to say, men, let's be men. Let's not, let's not step back. Let's take responsibility to love and to serve and to lead and to lay down our lives for one another. Can, can we do that? We can be very crumbly walls, and if you're a crumbly wall, the house will fall down. Now, this doesn't mean that we all need to be macho men and we all need to start playing, you know, like rugby or something manly. (laughs) Do you know, seriously, I think this is one of the biggest, most damaging things that's come out of America in recent years. It's this idea that to be a man means to be macho. Rubbish. There's a huge, huge variety of what it means to be a man. But to be a man means to be someone who lays down their life for others. That's what it means to be a man. And women, I was going to say, let's be women, but that doesn't work. Be women. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to prove that you're better. You delight to be women. So let me ask this, how do we pray for each other? Men, will you pray for the women of Globe Church? Women, will you pray for the men of Globe Church? What a church we'd be. What about the way that we speak? This is important. Men, will you make a commitment to never engage in frivolous, stupid jokes about women that are stereotypical, put them down, and are dishonoring to Christ? There is no place for that in church, in a church family. Your job is to encourage women to flourish and to thrive, not to pull them down. Women, will you commit yourself to not criticize and moan, not to undermine, but actually to build up the men? Can I tell you, when I was a student, a long time ago, uh, there, was a, there was a woman who came up to me, and she actually she wrote me a letter, telling me something that she thought I was doing that was wrong. She did it in such a godly way, She didn't gossip and moan behind my back. She told me. And it was what I needed to hear. And I want to say, let's not be a church where we gossip and snipe and go, nah, 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 so-and-so did this and this bloke's rubbish, isn't he? Let's be a church. If there's a problem, let's confront it. Let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. Let's openly sort things out so that we can love each other. Will we celebrate the differences between us? Will we be aware of... Stereotypes. Oh, the light's blown. My time's obviously gone. And my final thing, as we finish, (laughs) as the light fades, will we entrust ourselves to Christ?
At the end of the day, will you entrust yourself to Christ? We've got a lot of working out how this, this works in practice. It seems very clear that women were praying and prophesying in the church in Corinth. And what we're going to do at question time later on is, is if people want to ask some questions, then we'll unpack a little bit more about how this works out. Here, I just want us to get the principles. And we're going to pray now, and we're going to ask that God would teach us. And this might be really weird, but my prayer for today was that people would leave today saying, I am glad that I'm a man, or I am glad that I'm a woman. I'm excited about that. And I want to serve Christ as he's made me. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, these are hard things. These are big things. Father, we ask for your help to work them out. Um, In Jesus' name, amen.